Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we are in the continuing series, The Gospel According to Moses, in the book of Genesis. We're on Lesson 87, and we're focusing in on chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. We have just finished the remarkable study about Judah and Tamar, that saga of Judah and his pagan daughter-in-law, Tamar, and how it fits into the overall story of the Joseph saga. It's amazing. So right now, Joseph finally arrives in Egypt, and there's two lessons that we're going to learn here in Lesson 87. First is, we're going to try and go back and understand how the Hebrews who are coming out of Egypt would have understood what they were reading for the first time. They're the first audience for Moses. We believe, as Christians, we believe also if you're a Jewish believer practicing Judaism, or if you are a Messianic Jew, or a Messianic Christian for that matter, we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And which means those Hebrews coming out of Egypt were the first ones to hear and read his word. So we have to say, in light of that, what did they see, what did they hear, and what did they understand? Oh, sure, we'd say one thing for sure that they would get. Now they understand how they got to Egypt. Because they're leaving Egypt. We're dealing with the Exodus. And so they're on the plains of Moab, across Jericho. Moses has passed on. He's buried. Jer and Joshua is about to lead them across the Jordan River. And I would imagine they opened up the books and they started reading the Torah for the first time. So now they understand for sure how they got there. But there's more, so much more, that they understood. And there's more for us as well. Wait till you see. The second thing is, on June 15th, 763 BC, this can be verified by modern astronomy. There was a solar eclipse of the sun that the ancient Assyrians noted. They've got it in their own writings. Ancient Assyrians. This event, plus other archaeological finds, give us the date when Joseph arrived in Egypt at the age of 17. It was 1916 B.C. How, does, how, did, how did we get this? And as we study the history of Egypt and we study the names of the pharaohs at the time of 1916 B.C. and through Joseph's life, we see some remarkable events in ancient Egypt that relate to what we read in the Bible during Joseph's life. They, they line up with the Bible and the story of Joseph exactly. All because of a solar eclipse in 763 BC, as noted again by the ancient Assyrians and verified by 
Very simple modern astronomy. <laughs> okay, guys, get ready. My fellow disciples of Yeshua are disciples of Rabbi Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Are my fellow Talmudim. That's the Hebrew word for disciples, Talmudim. Let's go study and again see the truth of God's word. Let's again see that we're not only we're not going to get this by simple Bible reading. This lesson shows we need, as his disciples, his Talmudim, one, to definitely to, to, to do two things in our walk with the Lord. One, read the Bible. I agree with that. The new year is starting. And with the new year, I love reading the Psalms. All 150 Psalms over a 31-day period to start the new year. It's like recommitting my life to the Lord each and every year. So I read the Bible. I'm not studying the Psalms. I'm just reading them. But also, as and this is going to be a perfect lesson, as we study the Bible, as we put it in its historical context, we begin to see the deeper aspects of understanding God's Word. And we can't get this by reading only. So this is the way all of us will obey Jesus when he said, go and make disciples. We need to help those who we're helping to go deeper in their walk with Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus to not only understand to read the Bible, but also to study the Bible. So you ready? Come on. Let's go. So we move on. Let's go to chapter 39 in Genesis. And I want to take a look at verses 1 through 4 and begin some commentary right there. Again, re reading from the Jerusalem Bible from Koran uh, Publishers in uh, Israel. Genesis 39. And Yosef, Yosef was brought down to Mitzrayim and Potiphar, the chamberlain of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Stop. Who is he? The captain of the guard. Okay. So Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Got that? That'll come back. Okay. That'll come back to haunt us. Um, where am I? Okay. At Mitzrayim, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelim, the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Yosef, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Mitzrayim, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Yosef found favor in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had, uh, all that he, had he put into his hand. Okay, 
Okay, back to again. You're a Hebrew coming out of Egypt. Second generation. And all of a sudden you're reading this. Moses is writing this. So they understand how they got there. It said, okay, we understand how this happened. Here's Joseph. He's the guy that got us there. And the statement there we just read is Yahweh was with him. And so they can see a reason now. I mean, these are the Hebrews coming out of Egypt and God is trying to instruct them. And God is basically saying to them, I was with Joseph. This was part of a plan. It's all engineered. You leaving Egypt is part of a plan. It's all engineered. They're begin they can begin to see this. Because again, a, a later on in, in Genesis 45, 7, and we'll get to it. I just want to paraphrase it. God is saving his people. Because Joseph says to his brothers, listen guys, God planned this. Not only did I save the world, but I saved Israel. I saved my dad and his entire family. So it's interesting because what we have is this. If you're a Hebrew and you're coming out of Egypt, you say, wait a minute, things are repeating themselves. With Joseph, okay, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob and his sons were saved. A family. And now the Hebrews can say, but now it's the nation of Israel. It's not just a family anymore. It's the entire nation. It's the same story. God is controlling the deliverance and the salvation of his people. Now the question is, when did this happen? What year? You mean to tell me? We can determine what year it was? It's actually by an eclipse in about 700 some BC. I'll bring that up to you. Now, you guys will remember this. Many of you were here for that class. I'm going to go back. There was a, there was, because he's passed on, a Christian archaeologist and Bible historian by the name of Edwin Thilly. He wrote a book called The Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings. And he basically reconstructed the chronology by dates of the Judah kings, the kings of Judah, and the kings of Israel. Remember they separated? After Solomon, okay? He did this because on June the 15th in 763 BC, there was an eclipse. And many of the ancient cultures describe it. It is the basis for the Assyrian calendar. Assyrian, not Syrian, Assyrian calendar of the Assyrian Empire. It is so precise, okay, this eclipse of June 15th, 763 BC, that when you go into the Assyrian books and the Assyrian calendar and their history, their history is exact to the date from 891 to 648 BC. Huge. Now, one of those kings in that date is Shalmanazar III. Shalmanazar III fought a battle. And now, considering we have the Assyrian date in the Assyrian calendar, which is related to the eclipse of June 15, 763 BC, we know the name of the battle and we know the time of the battle. The battle is called the Battle of Karkar, and it was in 853 BC. 
And on a stella, on a rock monument found in 1861 in Turkey, we have the names of the kings who were in the battle. So Shalmanauser III had this rock, okay, beautiful rock, okay, and he had all the names of all the kings and their armies who were fighting against each other in the Battle of Karkar in 853 BC. And one of those kings happens to be Ahab, 853 BC. And then we know he died at the end of 853 BC in another battle, but that battle was in Israel. Now, I'm not going to go through all of it, but working backwards, okay, working backwards, we come to a Bible verse in 1 Kings where it says, I think it's 1 Kings 6, if I recall, but in your Bible it says, in the um, fourth year of Solomon's reign, 480 years after Israel left Egypt. So working backwards, we can come to that date, and that date, the fourth year of Solomon's reign, based upon this eclipse of the moon, okay, six, uh, June 15, 763 BC, we know that's 966 BC, 480 years after they left Egypt. When you do that, we find that Jacob... I, 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 you have to trust me on this because we, we did this before. Jacob enters Egypt in 1876 BC using these dates. He was 130 when he arrives. He even states that. He's talking to Pharaoh, says, I'm 130 years old. And based upon all of these, the calendars and so on, he's there in 1876 BC. Now, the other thing that we know is it's the second year of the famine. Remember, there's a famine. There's going to be seven years that are going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And it's quite clear in Genesis 45, 6, that it's the second year of the famine. Now, Joseph started his work with Pharaoh, which we're going to get to, when he's 30. There's seven years of good good times, good agriculture, which means he was 37 when that ended. But this is the second year of the famine, so he's 39. So he's reunited with his dad in 1876 BC. All because of Edwin Dilley and this eclipse of the, or eclipse of the sun. That's it. Now, Joseph enters Egypt when he's 17. So he meets his dad in 1876 BC, but we know he enters Egypt when he's 17. Well, 1876, and I'm adding 23. Why am I adding 23 to that? No, I actually want to add because I want to go back. So I have to add. But why am I adding 23? 22, actually. Yeah, th thank you, 22 years. That's it. That's why I'm adding to 22. So he's there. He comes to Egypt in 18. 98 BC. We know who the Pharaoh was. This is Dynasty 12. Dynasty 12 in Egypt goes from 2000 to 1876 BC. And the Pharaoh, that would have been the Pharaoh, at the time that Joseph enters, is Sesostris II. Now I know 
Sesos. Now he goes by another name, okay? Uh, Serusnet the second. One is Egyptian, one is Greek. Okay, it's like when you take a look at the uh, pyramids, you got the Great Pyramid, and you may hear that it was the Great Pyramid of Cheops. Well, okay, that's the Greek name for the pharaoh whose name was Khufu. I don't know how the Greeks get Cheops from Khufu, but that's it. So you got Khufu, Cheops, that's the Great Pyramid. Same thing's going on here. Sesostris II or Senusret II. Now he starts serving Pharaoh at age 30, but Sesostris II is not the Pharaoh anymore. At age 30, it's Sesostris III or Senusret III, the son of Sesostris II. Now what's really amazing, the reason why I brought this up, Sesostris III is an amazing pharaoh. He is the one pharaoh in the Middle Kingdom who decided to do something so interesting. He was a little concerned with the power that all the nobles that were having across the two lands, Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. So he took away all their power and they had to answer to him. What did Joseph advise Pharaoh to do exactly what Sestostris III did? That is fascinating. The only Pharaoh, and all of a sudden the dating works. To me, again, what I try to bring to you, you guys, is some real archaeology. And all of a sudden, to me, it, 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 this becomes so real, so credible. We're really dealing with history. That, it's, it's amazing. We're not dealing with just a story. All because of Edwin Thilley, all because he was worried about the Assyrian calendar. All of a sudden, it leads to Solomon. Oh, it's, just, it's amazing. So a conclusion that we have is God is with Yosef, God is with us, and God has an amazing plan. And he is the God of history. I mean, for us, the New Testament, you could say is, oh yeah, we, we get it. Uh, yeah, there's debates on certain dates and so on, but that's closest to us. Okay, Joseph seems so far away. But the thing is, with the archaeology and the science, uh, it is quite amazing to see this. So, we end off Lesson 87. And just as a reminder, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that was Jesus' Bible. There was no New Testament in Jesus' day. They weren't even writing it. We remember in John 3, 16, that Jesus says scripture testifies of himself. He probably says that between 24 to 30 AD and the only Bible that they had was what we would say the Old Testament. I call it the Hebrew scriptures. And the first five books were the foundational books of the Bible in those days. And the scripture testifies of Yeshua. Now, we connect this to what we just dealt with this in this podcast. The Hebrews coming out of Egypt, they understand God is behind all the events in Joseph's life. Because they're the first ones to hear God's word coming out of Egypt. This, this, this was written for them and for us, but how did they get it? 
Thus, the Hebrews would say God is behind all the events in their lives, even the tough times when they were in slavery. And their baby boys were being murdered by the Egyptians by throwing them and drowning them in the Nile. So even at tough times and difficult times, even in the faces of death, Joseph could say, his dad Jacob could say, all of his brothers could say, all of Israel coming out of Egypt, they all could say, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God is with us. He's helping us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's carrying us. He's engineering our lives on a personal level and on a national level for his people. The Hebrew word for faith is imuna. Strong's number is H530. Now you've heard me state that Hebrew words do not have definitions. They have conceptual meanings. And in order to get the base picture of what's happening with a Hebrew word, we take Amuna to try to get to its verbal root, which is Amun. Strong's number is H539. And when we're there at the base root, there's a foundational picture of carrying a child, a father carrying a child. So imuna, faith, what does it mean? What does it mean to have faith when we have this picture? That we believe in God? That we believe that he exists? That God is real? It's not just belief. That's part of it. But it's acting on that. It's living each moment relying on God, our Father, to understand he's carrying us, to live on that truth, that picture, that it's real. That's the lesson in the phrase in Exodus 39, verse 3, that God was with Joseph. So too for us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Our Lord is with us always. I happen to be recording this on New Year's Eve of 2023. What a what an amazing way to end the year to start 2024. 2024 could be very difficult. We're seeing already terrible things that are happening around the world in Israel. In Nigeria, 160 of our brothers and sisters were murdered while they're in church. So as we go into 2024, what's going on? No matter whether it's going to be times that are evil or times that are good, in sickness or in health, whether we're poor or prospering, we are in the hands of our Father. What an amazing way to end the year. Now, I didn't give you all the details on the dating of the Joseph story. For example, how did I come up with 1916 B.C. on the screen picture that you saw for Joseph entering Egypt at age 17? Now, if you check 
where you're getting this podcast, prior to you basically clicking the play button, you should find a way below, someplace below the podcast, for clicking on a way of opening up the window further. It should say show more. There might be an arrow there to click on. Um, because underneath, what I would say underneath this podcast, I have included an article, a scholarly article, which really goes into the details of this dating based upon real archaeology, real astronomy, real history. And it results in accurate biblical dating. I give you it in written form because dating and studying dating can be very complex. So this way in written form you can print it and study it as your leisure. Because if you were listening on audio, you'd have to take an awful lot of notes. Now this paper is not my opinion, it's not my theory, it's not my hypothesis. This is based upon real proven scholarship, as you'll see. It shows the absolute uniqueness of this holy book that we call the Bible. It is totally truthful. And what it teaches us is unshakable truth, reliable, totally trustworthy. Imagine the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. He gave us his holy words. There is no other holy book to compare to this. Not the Book of Mormon. Not the Quran. Nothing. So all we can do is say thank you, Lord. All we can say is Toda Rabbah Avinu. Thank you so much, our Father. Thank you. O Lord, in Yeshua's name. And we'll remember in Luke 24:50 that Jesus lifted up his hands to bless his 120 disciples before he ascended the Father, just like the high priest daily lifts up his hands. It could very well be that Jesus blessed them with the ironic blessing. I've taken the ironic blessing and I've turned it into a prayer. I'd like to end our session with that blessing, that blessing that's based upon the high priestly blessing that God gave to Moses, to Aaron, to bless the people. Yevarekeinu Adonai Vishmarkenu, Yair Adonai Panava Alenu, Bekunikinu, Isa Adonai Panava Alenu, Viasem Lanu Shalom, Vishem Yeshua Adonenu, Amen. So together, let's say this in English. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and may he give us his shalom. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.